Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. So happy that you tuned in. My name is David, and I love the facts of life. So I've decided every week I'm going to watch an episode of the show, hit record, then talk about it, synopsize it, contextualize it, and use it as a stream of consciousness springboard to talk about anything and everything else I can think of. And why would I want to do this alone? Every mental illness needs its enablers. So thankfully, I have a legion of fellow actors and artists in the Orlando and Central Florida community who are willing to go on this journey with me. My crazy cup runneth over. My guest this week is James Bondi. James comes to us via the Great White North. He is a fellow Canadian. As you know, I call myself half Canadian now. If you heard episode 10, Adoption, you understand why. Uh, James is another fellow actor. He's super talented. He's a musical theater guy. He's actually reached some level of notoriety with his uh, stage career in Canada, as well as in children's programming on American television as the star of Ribert and Robert's Wonder World on PBS. We talk a little bit more about that on the show. Um, like many of my guests, he is a fellow comedic interactive actor who might be found occasionally on the streets of Hollywood studios, and occasionally he and I get to do it together. The episode we watched was season two, episode nine, entitled Gossip, which had an original air date of January 21st, 1981. I think we're ready to jump on in. This is me with James Bondi. Well, hello, James Bondi. Hello, David Almeida. How are you? Well, I'm lovely. Welcome to your home. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is uh, this is a first for my podcast. This is me on location by remote. I have come here to you, and I'm sitting in your beautiful home. It is the nicest toy museum I have seen in a long time. It is. It's uh, it's owed to a an only child, <laughs> and the living room has definitely. Uh, uh, taken over for uh the thomas the train superstation and star wars figures and trucks and it trains is, and everything i'm i am always in in every house with children i am always because i feel like i had a lot of toys as a kid i had nothing compared to a typical kid today with how many toys kids accumulate well i actually i had presley my son uh get the living room situated like this to inspire perhaps a Silver Spoons oh. uh, a podcast later on because, you know, oh. how he had toys all over the house. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. And Silver we do have a, we do have a train to, to ride on if you want to get on top of it and ride around the house. Absolutely. The only difference is that you, you were actually raising your son. In Silver Spoons, Ricky Schroeder was, what was he? he didn't, I guess the dad didn't know he had a kid until the pilot when Ricky Schroeder turns up at his doorstep, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, um, I used to watch that. I don't remember. I remember I love Jason Bateman on that. Did you? God, he was so good. I, I thought he was, he was definitely the most natural. Well, Ricky Schroeder was pretty darn good too, yeah. but, but he was, Jason Bateman was great for the limited amount of time that they gave him. Yeah. He but, was like a, an Uncle Arthur as far as whenever, I think Derek was the character's name. I yes, remember his yes. name, but anytime Jason, and because he was a kid clearly acting, he was clearly playing smarmy but he did it so well yeah he did he just it was he was the kid you he was better than eddie haskell he was a kid you just love to hate 
And, and oh. Alfonso Ribeiro has not improved as an actor one <laughs> bit. <laughs> he mugged then and he mugs now. Oh my God bless. We just uh, sat down and watched episode uh, nine of season two called Gossip. Gossip. There was plenty of it. Yes. According to Wikipedia, this episode is listed as the final episode of the season and it's wrong. Gossip is season two, episode nine. It's the next one. That was there, and um, uh, and also for a switch, James fed me. You you made some delicious public subs. You're a wonderful chef. Well, <laughs> thank you, thank you. And I, I I recommended that you heat it up, and you didn't heat it up. Oh, and I I heated up my half, but uh, I could tell you liked it because by the time I sat down to eat mine, yours was gone. Gone. Inhaled it. It yes. was lovely. Public <laughs> subs are a beautiful thing. Especially and, when they're on sale. And, <laughs> oh, James is well known uh, among us because we are, we are co-workers at, at Disney. And uh, James is well known. The, the Bondi bargain. The Bondi bargain. You can, you find, anytime we mention any business, we'll say, oh, I got pizzas from Domino's. You'll be like, you know, they have a five ninety nine for if you get more than two deal, you can get it. And when you pick up and if there is any type of a deal to be had, Anywhere as far as whether it's using the app, whether it's signing up for email alerts or coupons, you always seem to know well, the best deals. And let me get this out here. I'm not cheap. I'm mm-hmm. not a cheap person. I no. tip well. I, I, I'm happy to pay for this and that on any occasion. But my motto is, is someone is not paying full price, so I'm not going to either. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. And yeah. looking at your house, you certainly aren't scrimping on your toy budget for your <laughs> child. <laughs> so I always like to ask my guests, first thing is, what significance did this show have for you, if any, when you were growing up? Did you watch this show growing up? I did watch the show. I wasn't a regular avid watcher of it. If it was on, mm-hmm. I would be watching it. Yeah. And there were certain reasons why it I would watch it and would keep watching it. Uh, I was a very big fan of shows in and around it. Mm-hmm. The spinoff, of course, Different mm-hmm. Strokes yeah. was one of my favorite. Well, technically, Different Strokes is a spin on. Spin on. That's right. Because is that is that a term? I a think spin, I just invented that. I think you that. just did a spin on. The different Strokes is the spin on. I agreed on. with it. Like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. The spin I on. Have, I shouldn't have revealed my, blown yeah. my cover I was. There. I'm a huge Different Strokes fan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the Mrs. Garrett thing. Sure, I, you know, uh, to the 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 watcher that doesn't watch very often to see Mrs. Garrett there back and forth on the shows. Yeah, uh, was was something. But I did. I, I'll be honest with you. The main reason why I watched this show is because of Nancy McKeon. Nancy McKeon. Yeah, um, you are now. You are what I believe our society calls a heterosexual male. Sure, and um, I I. Totally, many of my friends are heterosexual. I, I can't condone the lifestyle. I'm loving the sinner. I'm hating the sin. Yes. Uh, but the deal is, uh, I'm always fascinated by the straight people I have. It's like, okay, not did you, whom did you have a crush on? No, it was definitely Nancy McKeon nice. and nobody else. It's, it's something about that, 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 that tease of her, you know, wearing the, the jeans and the, and the rolled up t-shirts and the, and the tough attitude but yeah, deep like, down inside i just wanted her to let her hair down and put on a short skirt uh-huh like and and, and i and i watched hoping maybe this was the episode <laughs> it blair did nothing for me i think i felt like that she was at her peak already like she made herself oh. look so finished to complete that it was just downhill from there so yeah it, it didn't do really anything she's like this is this is as beautiful as basically television can make me look 
I've never thought of that. There was not there'd be nothing to look forward to. It's like yeah, I and and I and and she was so overconfident the character that that's True. not a turn on for me. I I, I love the 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 hidden gem, the the what if, the a diamond in the yes, rough. Yeah. Which God, if there's ever Joe Polnicek as a character, if there was ever such the perfect. Um, and I actually, I mean, I, I, I didn't watch the show enough to know if her, her sexuality ever came into, I probably at that time it didn't came, oh come God, into fruition, no. but I would no. always kind of maybe fantasize that maybe she was even a lesbian, but oh, you know, who knows? Just, is that, that's another straight guy thing. That's another, it? Fantasizing, it's another straight guy yeah, thing. Fantasizing yeah. that chicks yeah. are doing each other. And it wouldn't have bothered me in the least. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. That was Matthew Arter uh, inspiring me there. Um, <laughs> so um, let's get to it. This episode is called Gossip, and it is, uh, and it starts off seemingly innocent enough in that we have Blair showing off a shirt that she has bought that she's planning to wear to the museum, and it's like a big, beautiful 80s paint smear pattern. And um, I actually wrote that down right away. I said, I wrote down white sweater for white a date sweater. because that's, that, it, was, it was horrible. It was ugly. It was. But that was, but 1981, that was the shit. I, I guess. I just, I just thinking that she, you know, the way she told Mrs. Garrett, like, hey, I'm going to pick up in this. Oh. You know, like, look at this gorgeous well, white sweater. In the words of Blair Warner, she's like, I can even make this look good. Like, That's Blair true. doesn't, Blair can wear anything. And, and, and don't you forget it, America. Um, but the, what is happening is there is a big trip to New York City, which is, we know, an hour or two away by train. From Peekskill, we do go in and out of New York City with some regularity on the show. And this is a apparently an annual weekend trip that they are doing for the purpose of like a cultural expedition. Like there's going to be some museums. And did they mention seeing a show or going to the theater? Uh, no, not yet. They were, I think they were really concentrating on the art and things like that. Yeah. Cause I'm even thinking mi- of Blair's day. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yes. I think that's what where my brain is. Yes, because Mrs. Garrett was actually reading a book. Uh, during this scene entitled Abstract Painting. Really? Yes. So she was trying to brush up before she went to the museum? (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, props, people. It's like, well, they talk about going to a museum. Give her a book on abstract painting. Yes. Um, So that's all fine. Um, We have this weekend planned, and who comes in but Nancy? Nancy. Now, I don't think you're aware of this. Nancy is not on the show anymore. Nancy with the long, dark hair was one of the casualties of season one. She was one of them that was fired. Oh, really? As were Cindy and Sue Ann, the two blonde Blondes, girls. Yes. Those three girls were among the four that were let go. The fourth was Molly Ringwald, and she's not back in this episode. But what is um, of note for this episode is they bring back three of the girls, and this is a great episode from a writing standpoint as far as they utilize the characters and the characters serve a function they are all there for a reason and there's nothing uh, extraneous about it there's no sense that well shit Tootie's on Tootie is there we need to find a line for her to say yeah and there's um it, it seems the episode seems really well tied together for the fact that they actually put girls back into it just for this one shot. It's it's a two big thumbs up for me. Mm-hmm. And Nancy comes in, and while they're talking about the plans for this culture weekend, 
Nancy is all excited because she's going to be meeting her boyfriend, Roger. In secret, of course, because they're on a, a school trip, right? Well, I mean, she announces it to all of them and Mrs. Garrett. I don't. Oh, think... I don't think Mrs. Garrett was in the room when she did that. I thought she was like on the side, like, I'm going to be meeting Roger. Did she, was it is not... it? Okay. I felt like that. that's what it was. It was... Uh... It was a more of a secret, like, oh, I can't wait. Roger's going to be there. Which I don't understand, by the way, because they're in peak skill. Yeah. And so I'm assuming if she's got a boyfriend, he's in peak skill. We don't know. So why has he got to go all the way to New York City just to I, see her? <laughs> I don't know. Roger is this um, this beautifully nebulous enigma from season one. So you've seen Roger? No. Oh, you haven't? At one point, I think it was Flash Flood. He picked her up and dropped her off. So that was the first indication that he's local. We're like, local. Does does he go to Bates? Bates is the boys' school that's a mile away. But we never explicitly say he goes to Bates. And I'm with you. It's like, so why is Roger meeting her in New York? Unless he, like, lived in Connecticut and was coming in from... Yeah. And uh, somebody... uh, There's another joke somewhere where she said, Roger, I won't go that far. And someone was like, what? Like, what is he asking you to do? And she's like, no, I mean Schenectady. Or this some, I feel like it was Schenectady or Rochester. Anyway, okay. it is unclear. It remains unclear. And right. But the good thing is that Roger is a carryover from season one and a carryover from this character. So it's like, good, cool. And maybe and, he's just moved. Maybe he just moved and they're doing a long distance thing. Uh, yeah, because Roger might be a 35-year-old professor for all we know. We really don't have any clue. Um, and, and we use him, the idea of him, to really good effect in this episode as the scene progresses and as we learn. But before we get there, 2D comes out and wants to play a game of Monopoly. She's like, well, somebody come and do something with me. And they're like, no, we're busy. We're busy planning this big culture weekend. And Tootie is clearly not going. I think it's just because she's not of the not class. Going yeah. out. And Mrs. Garrett flat out tells her why she can't go, right? She's just basically tells her, you're not old enough. Doesn't? Okay. I guess like, so. I guess is, you're not this old is, This is for like the seniors or the whatevers, which the other group is. Okay. She's I, not a part of it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't remember clearly, but you're, you're probably right that she does say it because that's a running theme is that you're not old enough, therefore you're an outsider, therefore you're not being included, Tootie. And um, Natalie comes in saying that she's going on the trip. Oh, oh, and that's it. And Natalie's like, I'm going. And Tootie's like, wait, wait. what? You're going? Now, Natalie's a year ahead of Tootie, mm-hmm. but she is a year behind Blair and Joe. So, so why does she like, get to go? Yeah, Natalie is writing an article for uh, about the UN for the school newspaper. So for that reason, because she had an actual educational reason, they're going to yeah. bend the rules and let her go. Yeah, and this is one of the earliest uh, leaning towards of Natalie being the writer of the group. We've, we're slowly kind of finding the focus of the characters. Okay, can I mention, you mentioned uh, that... 2D was playing Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the box? Did you see what the box no. is? <laughs> I I'm assuming it's for licensing, but it was a standard box of Monopoly. Okay. But on every side and the cover and the top and the bottom, you know, there's the Monopoly logo, which is basically the word Monopoly. Yeah. Uh, but the N was shaded out. So it had M-O and then there was like a white box instead of the N. O P L Y. So clearly, like they were like, if 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 we're playing mopably, mopably, then then we can get away with it. 
does she does she not say monopoly? I'm I'm pulling it up. I'm right not now. sure. I just I noticed that. We're looking at it right now. Monopoly. You know, she's outside the room listening. It was it was. Does she have the box with yeah, her? Yes, she does. There it is. See. Oh yeah. What is that? And that's about? clearly. Like that's not right. I just pulled this up. You are right that when she's carrying the Monopoly box and in the that's hallway, like super clear to us on the camera. Yeah, the N is somehow like duct taped over. Taped over. What is that? Monopoly. Yeah, Monopoly. But she calls it Monopoly. It's not like come huh. play a board game with me. Because when you look at it, when she's got it set up to play and she's trying in the cafeteria, you can see Monopoly is intact. I wonder if that was just a mistake that no one noticed. Shit happens like that. So Natalie's line in response to the sexy jeans comment is, uh, step aside, Brooke Shields, you're through. Yes. Brooke Shields. That is a very of its time because she was the quintessential young blue jeans model. That was she was She was another one that I followed throughout her career because I had such a crush on uh, Brooke Shields. Yeah, she, and gorgeous. Yeah. Like, whew. Um, yeah, and she was the Calvin Klein jeans girl. That was her big thing. Um, I'd buy her furniture anytime. <laughs> Where where's, does she have a clothing? She has to have a clothing line. Where is it? Brooke Shields clothing line. I just know that she has furniture. So I don't, you know, like all the rest of the supermodels. It's one of those furniture store. It's like a line, you like, know, like an Ashley or yeah. She's just sitting on the couch. I just looked know. this up here. It looks like Lazy Boy. Hmm. Brooke Shields Furniture, yeah, because Lazy Boy is more than recliners. They have full-on yes. furniture, at least down here in Florida they do. Um, and yeah, her clothing, I think she has a QVC clothing line or something. But uh, of course, if you're a model, why wouldn't you have a clothing line? Of course. Um, and, and Brooke Shields, still looking amazing nowadays. And she's probably, she's got to be pushing 60. Yeah, I would guess point. about that, yeah. Um, I'm not going to look that up. So with all the girls making plans to do this New York trip, Tootie is clearly feeling left out. She's trying to get someone to play this Monopoly game with her, and they're saying no. And um, and she actually complains to Mrs. Garrett, saying, you know, I'm, I feel left out. I'm, you know, I'm not a little kid. They're acting, treating me like I'm a little kid. And Mrs. Garrett says, back home on the farm, I was the same way. And I forget if we've heard about Mrs. Garrett growing up on a farm. She's from... I think she's from Appleton, Wisconsin, is where Mrs. Garrett is from. And uh, Charlotte Ray is not far from there. She's similarly like North Midwestern. So I just point these things out because I can't remember if that comes into play. But we do know that continues throughout the series. And they do stick to that, that Mrs. Garrett is a Midwestern farm girl. Um, So then we go into the kitchen. Howard is in the kitchen. And Howard is doing something we've never seen him do before. He's cooking. He's actually cooking? Yeah. I'm not sure what he's doing with all the busy work, but... Um, yeah, he had oven mitts on at, um, at one of the scenes, so he was clearly baking uh, something. But I have to ask, how tall is he? Because he just... Is it just all because Miss Garrett's tiny and all the girls are all tiny because he just <laughs> towers over them all? Uh, yeah, he does. He is... Um, no, she is... I believe Charlotte Ray is five foot tall. Okay, that makes sense. And so uh, I so, would look like that. Yeah, because he's a good. That's <laughs> right. Because how tall are you? I'm well. My resume says five four. Five four. That's we'll what go. my resume says. Okay. Well, we'll. <laughs> that's your story, and you're sticking yes. to it. But um, yeah, he's a good more than a head taller than she is. So he's probably like, like you know, he could be six. Well, with the chef hat on, with he's the chef like hat and everything. Tall, yeah. yeah, he's probably you know like six one. He's probably my height. 
I'm, yeah. I'm 6'1". Um, but uh, yeah, so Howard is actually working in cooking. Typically, we've only seen him a couple other times, and he will eventually disappear, never to be seen from. Never Did they seen. check the oven? Um, I, I hope he didn't leave it on. <laughs> but he, yeah, eventually goes away. But he's he, it's nice because he just has a couple of lines here. And um, further proof that season one was just horribly written in that in this show, we have all of our regular core cast, plus the three girls carried over, plus Howard, plus Mr. Harris, whom we haven't met. And I'm glad I mentioned that. We do have a moment where Tootie, trying to sort of get everybody's attention, says, so, hey, did you hear the secret about Mr. Harris? And they're like, what? What are you talking about, a secret? And she says, he wears a toupee. And they're all like, everybody knows that. That's not news. That's not a thing. And Mrs. Garrett's like, oh, yeah, of course. And then she stops and goes, but really, a toupe. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, toupe is a funny a word. Toupe. I'm, I don't know, but this does come into play. It's important to, it comes into play later that Tootie in trying to get attention does try to drop a little bit of uh, juicy, possibly gossip type of stuff. And Hence the, the title. Yes, and this is when the, the storyline really gets going. Yes. So Mrs. Garrett says to Howard in the kitchen that she has got to go to an eye exam and most likely she's going to have to have her eyes dilated and she says she hates that. Um, and I will concur. I hate it when I have my eyes dilated too. I, I've never had mine dilated, but I mean, I don't understand why it would be a nice thing at any time. It's the thing with it is how have you never had your eyes dilated? Well, why would I have my eyes dilated? It, that's what your dentist does to look inside and get a good view of your cornea of the back. That's how they see the back of your eye. They shine a light in your eye. My dentist. It, um, what did I say? Did I said, said your dentist. dentist. Like what dentist do you go to? <laughs> I'm sorry, your eye doctor. Uh, oh your well, I don't have optrician. I don't have an optrician. I, I, I'm. I've got perfect eyesight. You do. Knock on wood. It's you probably, don't, you, do you not use reading glasses? No. What? No, I, I don't have uh, any eye issues at the moment. And Knock, you're, you're knocking like my on age, wood. Right? Well, you're I'm not close. 50. You're not fifty. I'm not fifty. You're in your forties. I'm in my forties. Wow. That's wow. My you're mid forties, but yeah, and uh, I don't have any eye issues or. Yeah, so I've never, I've, I mean, I've had an Not eye good. exam here and there, but that was just like, cover your eye and read the board. And then when you can read the little thing, they're like, all right, you're good, bye. That's, wow. Because there's, I can't remember an eye exam where I haven't had them dilated. But yeah, that's what your eye doctor does to open up your pupils. Because if they shine a light in there, your pupil's going to close. This is a, it's literally like numbing drops for the muscles. So your pupils just relax open and stay that way. Then he can shine a light, look at the back of your cornea, make sure there's no imperfections, no, and you know, if there's tumors or any other stuff, that's how they see that. And the sucky part of it uh, is that once he's done, you have these relaxed, it's it's like waiting yeah. for Novocaine to wear off. Yeah, yeah, it's, I get it. It's the same thing. So when your eyes are uh, dilated you you can't quite focus and they're super light sensitive so they have to give you these special sunglasses they sometimes prefer someone else drive you but if you just have like these really like this little dark overlay they'll put over your sunglasses or something you can drive yourself well on. that was that i wrote down a, a couple things about that when mrs garrett does return back yeah and her eyes have clearly been dilated and uh, among she's other not things. wearing sunglasses yeah and and uh, she, I don't. I, I wrote down how did she get back? 
Uh, yeah, there's many, many questions when we get there. Because um, she was playing it like, I'm completely blind. Like, yeah. Completely blind. It's, yeah, no, it's it's weird. So I'm glad. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. The deal is, um, so that's how that scene ends. Then we go upstairs to the girls in the bedroom. Yes. And uh, Blair asks Joe for a favor while they're in New York. She says, I'm going to sneak out and I need you to cover for me. And Joe was like, of course. And she's like, what are you going to do? And she's like, I'd rather not say. And Joe was like, then forget <laughs> it. Basically, yeah. she says, you're not going to tell me what you're going to do. I'm not going to cover for you. So Blair is like, okay, you've got to promise not to say. And Joe says, what does she say? Hey, where I come from, if you if you, Yeah, snitch, I never squeal. Yeah, if you squeal, your tongue gets shipped to Toledo or something. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. So Blair confesses that she is sneaking out of the hotel to meet with Roger. Roger. <gasps> dum, dum, dum. That's a big thing. We've never, ever had a Blair Roger anything going on before. But what quickly is learned is that Roger has tickets to see Barishnikov. Yes. And that was a big deal. And he is a crush of Blair's. We've established that in season one. So Blair, for all intents and purposes, says, I'm not looking for Roger. I don't care about him. He's just invited me to see Barishnikov. He's got the tickets. I'm taking advantage of it. So I need you to cover for me for that. And that's all fine and dandy, except Tootie is in the hallway with her Moopoly box. And Tootie listens into the door, outside the door, and overhears it. So she knows. Yeah, it was like it was basically like the door wasn't even closed. That's how loud it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we've had that problem in the show before where it's like, okay, the person takes two steps away. They do that on Modern Family. Modern Family, and I like Modern Family. Uh -huh. So many people complain about it. It it gets a little farcical sometimes, a little, little sweaty with setting up the things to create the confusion and the miscommunications. But Modern Family is a like they'll be in a hospital room with somebody and they'll say something and then they'll turn their back. And Cam and Rich will be like, that means that she's going to die. It's going to be so tragic. And it's like, you're, you're in the same room. They can hear you. Yeah. It's, I, I never got that. But um, so then Tootie has heard this. While Tootie's in the hallway, Nancy shows up. Now, why Nancy is going upstairs to these other girls' bedroom is weird. I guess she's just going up to hang out. And we've not seen Nancy yeah, before. Yeah, she, she was kicked off the show. And now she has free reign of going in anyone's room. Yeah. When the girls are on probation, it's why they have to stay there. You almost think they would have their social time limited. But be that as it may, Nancy shows up and and realizes and basically catches Tootie. And Tootie's like, oh, <laughs> bye. So she goes into the room. And as she goes in, Blair, to cover herself, says, uh, <laughs> as I was saying, Joe, I think Halston has a terrific line. And Joe responds with, yeah, he does. You can't believe a word he says. But um bum. Yeah. Very nice. Joe doesn't know fashion. That was totally a character appropriate joke. Um very quickly, so that I guess she's afraid she'll spill the beans or Nancy might pick up the plot by osmosis, Blair and Joe clear out of the room, leaving Nancy alone with Tootie. And Nancy says, well, Tootie, I'm going to go because... Oh, oh, and Nancy says she's furious because Roger has canceled their plans. Yeah. I can't imagine what's going on. And that's when Blair's all, <laughs> we, we got to go. Uh, so Nancy's already been... is angry. So she says to Tootie, um, 
I'm going to go. And Tootie's like, well, I'll stick around. And she says, no, I need to go talk to somebody older. Yeah, I need Ooh. someone to talk to and then yeah. somebody older. And she's like, I don't mean that. She says, I mean someone who's had their guts ripped out by love. Yes. Meaning somebody who might be able to uh, empathize. Someone who's been there before. Exactly. So um, so it's time for Tootie to bring out the big guns. Yeah, so do it. What does she say? Tell her. Well, uh, she basically says, oh, go ahead then. You know, go listen to someone who's had their guts ripped out. Mm-hmm. But I might have a little something that you want to know about Roger. <gasps> And when she says Roger, Nancy stops dead. And then she spills the beans. Yes. She tells her that uh, that Blair has a secret rendezvous set up with mm-hmm. Roger. And so Nancy storms out of the room and the scene ends with, did you catch Tootie's line? When she says, Blair is in trouble. trouble. That's her catchphrase. <laughs> That's her catchphrase. Now, I and in that scene, I think when I wrote down, uh, I believe when... She wants her to spill the guts even more. She's like, I got something to tell. Mm-hmm. She threatens her by taking a globe, which is oh. one of those like large classroom, yeah, classroom. You know, globes. globes. And she yeah. says, have you ever swallowed one of these before? Yeah, that's right. Tootie, she drops Roger and yes. she's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe, you know, Nancy's like, what do you know? And he, she's like, oh, I don't know. Why don't, don't you know. go ask somebody who's had their guts ripped out yeah, by yeah. love? Yeah. And so Tootie suddenly Starts playing all coy, like you got to fish it out of me, girl. Yeah. And yeah. she gets threatened by having a gigantic globe stuffed down her throat. <laughs> and, you know, every girl's dorm room has a globe. What a set decorating. Well, I was looking at that clearly because that was clearly Joe's room because it's all of their rooms. It's all, all their rooms, but you, I, I was looking at their personal space, oh, you know, because yeah. Joe had a dartboard, yeah. but there was no markings on the wall. So she's never missed the dartboard. Correct. But I, I absolutely believe that. <laughs> although I've, ne- I've never seen, you didn't see darts on it either. So maybe yeah. it was just a picture of a dartboard, but it looked like a real dartboard. And then she had a poster on the, on the ceiling above the bed. So clearly it was for something for her to look at while she was laying uh-huh. on her back. And that poster, Katie Lang. No. Um, <laughs> And I'm assuming Blair's bed was to her left or our right. Correct. And there was not a lot going on. There was a hair dryer hanging and a lot of girly stuff. And that's about all you got, you could see from the, the camera angle that we were watching from. Not only does the dartboard have no wear and tear around it, but it's five inches from a window. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. window's not broken. <laughs> I just pulled it up here. And so we're looking at, we really haven't explored and talked about, We've I've tried to talk about the old bedroom in the old show because it was the same bedroom set they kept decorating to look like other girls' rooms. But you do see, yeah, Blair has got kind of a a lighter color, more feminine headboard. And she's got a poster of the poster of the New Yorker. Of, yes. Of a cover from the New Yorker magazine. Because what teenage girl in 1981 didn't have a New Yorker magazine? And her bedspread is is the color of a wedding dress, basically. Uh, yeah, and and even the, the nightstand between the two beds is all frilly and stuff. It's it's very Blair. But the good thing is that this room kind of stays as it is in that. But yeah, I never noticed. And Joe's got a motorcycle picture over her bed. Of course, that's what it was, a motorcycle picture. And uh, Blair's, got a, Blair's got some plaques. That's, that's very Blair, that she would have her accomplishments and her plaques hanging around there. Um, 
but yeah, I like this this bedroom. And, and, and is that a tackle box, a fishing tackle box underneath the? No, it's a toolbox. Oh, it's a toolbox. He's, he's, he's got, got a, tool a motorcycle. Box yeah, right below the dartboard on Absolutely, the wall that doesn't yeah. get played with. Yeah, yeah. If Joe goes fishing, I don't think she uses a fishing pole. If you know what I'm saying. Yes, yes. Um, so Tootie does spill the beans finally and tells Nancy about Blair's plans with Roger, and Nancy is furious. So. So then the next scene is we go right down to the cafeteria where Blair is working as they have to in the cafeteria. She's shoveling yeah, ice. Yeah, so she's, she's, she's got this ice box that's clearly overfilled and she's filling up glasses. And yeah. here's what I'm thinking first. Okay, there's like eight or nine glasses and half of them already have ice cubes in them, a few of them. And I'm like, where did that ice come from? Because the ice is already overflowing. Yeah. So someone, they were preset. And then, yeah. they, and then they filled it up. And as she's digging, she's dropping ice cubes all over the table it's, and all over the tray. And I notice her, during her dialogue, nonchalantly pick up the ice off the table and put it back in the bucket. <laughs> I believe it. Because it's probably not real ice. It's probably glass. Do you think so? I think so. I think it's prop ice. But it's for the show... The show is, has up till now been pretty good with giving the girls chores because these chores are part of their punishment for the season premiere yeah. where they're paying back a van that got wrecked that they stole. And, and I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of this, this, these seasons, it takes place in only a couple of rooms. Yeah. Right. So how many chores can they possibly be doing in just these two rooms? I, I agree. Now, this cafeteria does get jumping and does have, you know, supposedly it's the meal service for all the girls that go to well, school. Well, I was there. impressed with the kitchen and the industrialization of it and how big the walk-in fridge looked and, you know, and it's like, well, there's only one cook in there, but it seemed yeah. like they, that was believable to me. And not a lot of food, though. You no, think no, they'd be laying no. out plates or have something. Um, and... Typically, you see them like clearing the dishes, wiping down the table, or maybe filling, even filling a salt. I might be thinking of Alice. Alice was, they'd be filling the salt shakers a lot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this ice thing is weird. But what we learn is that the ice becomes a device because Nancy comes down, instantaneously confronts Blair and says, you sneaky, slimy man stealer. And Blair says, how dare you? I am not slimy. Yes. (laughs) I love that joke. Um, And so Nancy in retaliation, says, well, Miss Hot Stuff, maybe this will cool you off. And she takes a scoop of ice and puts it down the front of Blair's blouse. The good old-fashioned dump something down someone's shirt. Yep, never fails. You want to put them in their place, that's how you do it. But I have to be honest with you, I don't see a lot of women doing it to other women. It's usually the woman doing it to the man, you know? Yeah. Like pouring down, you know, like even in Saved by the Bell, when, he, you know, Zach would get a milkshake dumped down his shirt for, oh. for being a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that, or a beer poured off... On, on, on his head, you know, yeah. after the woman storms out. But for a woman... Yeah, to do it to another woman. They, but it was Joe, and she probably... I've always wanted to do that, <laughs> yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> You're like, that's weird for a woman to do it to a woman, but I wish it had been Joe. And, well, and as a heterosexual male, mm-hmm. watching a woman dump ice cubes down another woman's top, a few questions come to mind. Okay, what, what are these... I, I, I don't deign to know what they might be. Well, I'm first of all, are they caught in her bra? Is she wearing a bra? Oh, are, 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 that's true. It, are, are the nipples going to change in any, in any way? <laughs> are they protected by the bra? Do they? <laughs> wow. And it wasn't until she lifted wow. the bottom of her shirt and the ice came out. I was wondering, you know, the, these questions. 
and you're like, she's untucking her. Teenage James is like, she's untucking her shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh dear. You see, now when we get into the delivery boys and various things, that's when that's when okay. I and my my folk and my kin start having similar thoughts. All right. Well, have me back for a delivery boy episode. I'd like fantasies. To. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Nancy storms out after she, it's a hit and run. She hits Blair in with the with the the ice. Doesn't hit her, but she dumps the ice, and then leaves. At which point Joe comes back and is like, you know, what was that about? And yeah, Blair Blair accuses Joe of snitching on her, and and basically Joe. This is what I don't get, and this is oh, this is something that happens in television all the time, is that this is your chance. Okay, she denies it. She says no. I like I told you, I never snitch. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's always a no. I don't believe you, and kind of the storm out thing, and the the victim lets themselves be victimized. Where yeah. in real life, you would say no, honestly, swear, yeah. get back in front of them, not let them leave the room, and say no. Look at me. I swear on my mother's grave or whatever yeah. that I did not say anything. But no, they accept it because yeah, that's the only way that the, that the you know it it can move on. Yeah, it's it's a very sitcom thing to be. You're mad at me. Well, I'm mad at you for being mad at me. Yeah, <gasps> and off they go. Yeah, and it's yeah. They, I, they could have solved that like really quick. That could have been yeah, and particularly Joe because if there is anyone who is. I mean, Joe says, I told you, she's, I don't snitch. And she's it's like, stand up. Fucking Nancy McKeon, you believe her. Yeah. And, and what has she done anything to this point characterized like to make you think that she would be lying to her? Yeah. You know, like she's she's honest. She's like, come on. If, well, if, if, if I was lying, I'd tell you. Yeah, because exactly. I want you to know, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, Joe has her moments where she's been dishonest. Like as far as you know, stealing things in this and that, but her character, Joe's character, has never come into question. Joe is not a duplicitous say one thing out of one side of her mouth. She's got nothing other. to gain from that. Yeah, there's no Joe. Joe does not have a uh, you know a backstabbing two two faced. Absolutely not. That's not a word. That's not a. Yeah. Joe is not two faced and never has been. And. This funny little exchange where Joe says, nobody says, I break my word. Yes. And Blair goes, well, I just said it. And Joe clenches her fist, walks up and says, do you want to say that again? And Blair says, no. (laughs) Just plainly and simply. And I I have to say, for the first time, I was kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Look at that fist she's making. That, That girl's never punched anyone. Oh, you don't think so? No, it wasn't realistic. It wasn't a realistic looking <laughs> fist clench. It's more of a Lucy Van Pelt. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it yeah. was like, oh, I'm going to get you. But it yeah. wasn't like, you know, I've, you know, this, I've yeah. knocked people out before. Yeah. So it, I, it didn't, I didn't buy that. You didn't believe it. Oh, no. See, I, I wouldn't know. It's, that's, I, I was, I wasn't even close to that masculine when I was 14. So to me, yeah. that was pretty convincing. Yeah. Um, after Blair says no, she follows it with, and I'm not talking to you at all. We are no longer on speaking that's terms. It. And that's when they, and walk away when, yeah. like you say, it could have been corrected, but better for the episode that they don't. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, at this point, Tootie comes in with a little entourage of people around her. We have, uh, we have Natalie, but we also have Sue Ann and Cindy from season one. We're like, what? Where yeah. did these girls come from? The pigtails. That's, with the little curls on the end? Yeah, that's Cindy, yeah. That's Cindy. That she, in the pilot, was accused of being 
strange because she was affectionate towards girls and she was kind of the tomboy. That was the pilot of the show was, you're strange. Well, that answers my next question. Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> More Bondy fantasies, ladies and gentlemen. Well, she was, she, I mean, if I was 15 or 14, mm-hmm. both those girls were quite attractive girls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're pretty. Absolutely. They're no Lisa Welcho. Nothing. Nothing. No. Nothing holds a candle to Lisa Welcho, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so with this, it's suddenly very apparent that Tootie's on a roll. Yeah, Tootie's on a roll, and she has attention. She's loving it. And they're all, wow, what else do you know? That's and cool. There's yeah. actually, I wrote down a line, um, blabbing makes her popular. Yeah, that was a, even to the yeah. point of, in, yeah. in the, God bless them, in the condensed writing of a sitcom, wow, Tootie, that's fun. Hey, you want to hang out tonight? All yeah. these extra, how yeah. do we quickly telegraph that you're popular now? Hey, Tootie, that's cool. Can I borrow your clothes? I want to, you know. Yeah. So it's like, okay. But this is where they're using the extra girls to good effect. Yes. Um, so that's all it. So Tootie's desire for attention and to be included is now uh, being fulfilled. And she's on her route to becoming just a pathological liar. We're, we're going to get there, yeah. yeah. Then we come back to the kitchen. Mrs. Garrett shows up after her eye appointment. What the fuck? Yeah, it was a bit of a mess. She, what well, the fuck? Okay, so obviously she's got her eyes dilated. She makes her way through the door, which she, I mean, she found quite quickly. You're, you asked, you said earlier, you were like, how did she drive herself? If she is that blind, she's not playing it. Okay, when your eyes are dilated, they are very light sensitive. So yeah. you would be squinting. Yeah, she's got she her eyes wide open as though she is blind. She was actually talking when she was in dialogue with the cook and with Tootie as the scene went on. Uh, she actually looked the other way. Yeah, to like, talk like she was blind. Yeah, like like like, like, a, like, a, like a Stevie Keller. Wonder kind of thing, like waving her head back yeah. and forth. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. gonna play this like like every blind person react like lives their life. Yeah, every sitcom blind person to make sure that you're blind. Like I'm thinking of Polly Holiday as yeah. uh, Rose's blind sister on The Golden Girls. She mostly looked down, I think. But the idea is that you, you do know blind people can hear and they can turn their body or their head in the direction of where they're hearing the sound. Well, when she was... But sitcoms don't seem to when, understand that. She was that. sitting, and Tootie, I believe, was standing, so Tootie's actually was a little bit above her. Yeah. And instead of Mrs. Garrett looking up in her direction, yeah. she was looking outwards, smiling. Yeah. Like a lot of blind people do. I think they smile a lot. I don't, do, is it, is do blind people smile? Ray Charles smiles all the time. <laughs> don't they, I don't know. She was acting strange. Yeah. And I have to say, they could have just set it up when she was leaving to go get her eyes dilated like with a horn honk and go, oh, there's my ride. Yeah. Or there's the car service. There's the fix. Yep. And more important than that, though, is um, what we're leading up towards is, long story short, Tootie infers that Mrs. Garrett is drunk based upon her behavior. And it seems like either directorially or actorially on the part of Charlotte Ray they decided to reverse engineer a performance that comes off as drunk when I think it they just let her go. I sense. think they just let her go and said, just come in and act like weird. Because, okay, this is what I wanted to mention before. Yeah. When she finally gets to the door, the first thing she does is she bumps into the counter. Yeah. The counter looks stainless steel and she lifted it off the floor. 
Yeah. If you notice, oh, no. the counter tips. Oh, no. <laughs> the counter completely tips. I, and goes, I think there's that. a sink in it, but it counter it goes up and then back down. Set piece. Yes. <laughs> I didn't see <laughs> that. I was like, what the heck was that? That's awesome. I, I don't think there's anything in the kitchen that should get knocked up and back down by no. a, a five foot woman running into it. That would be yeah, a bad thing. But she's, I could get if they just had her bumping into things and knocking them over. But like you said, the behavior of her, her gaze being, and, and the deal is your eyes being dilated. You can see what you can't do is you can't read suddenly things up close. Your muscles don't have the ability to focus on things that are very close to you. So I find when I'm, I don't, I don't need reading glasses. I don't use reading glasses, but there are times when if I need to, like if I've had my eyes dilated at the doctor and I want to come home work on my computer, I'll pull out a pair of reading glasses and that will correct for it. It's, it's just simply one of those, you can see, you just don't have the specificity of focus in your field Look, of vision. If, if, she, if she was really as she was acting and we're going to assume that it was even worse before she got there, that she should have been accompanied by somebody. Yeah. And she was just on her own coming through the door. No doctor would have let her go home <laughs> yes. from their office. Yes. Because, but, you know, but she's also, this is where my, my bad Charlotte Ray impression yeah. comes in. But she's also um, talking like, yeah. like, I, like she can't, and like it's, it, she's playing her suddenly so dotty and like she can't focus her concentration. Yeah. They probably could have, should have just focused on her bumping into things and then maybe saying, oh, just it's crazy. She does say it's crazy what a couple of drops will do. Yes. And Tootie's like, oh, depends on what the drops are made of. You know, that could have worked. But the fact that we had this protracted scene of her coming around and interacting with both Howard and Tootie and acting like nothing. Howard just sat there like. He let her like run into four things. Yeah, don't help her. I'm, no, he had his oven mitts on. Like, take your oven mitts off and like <laughs> grab her and sit her down. And you know, like, <laughs> yeah, take the oven mitts off. There's nothing in the oven anyway. No, there is. We know. We, there's no food anywhere. He's been standing in this there kitchen. for 25 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, at one point she says to Tootie, she says, "Hi, Mrs. Garrett." She says, "Are those twins you?" Yes. It's like, and Tootie says, "One of them is." You don't have double vision when you have yeah. it's like well she acted she acted completely blind and 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 then when Tootie said one word to her she went oh hi Tootie yeah like she and she looked in her direction so she kind of like I was like oh she can see now yeah but, but now she can't see again because then she sees double Tooties yeah it's it's a very very problematic scene uh clumsily engineered so that the takeaway is Tootie perceives that mrs garrett is drunk yes so cindy and sue ann show up at which point perfect timing for that too at which point tootie already she's like oh i got more i got more dirt to dish out i'm doing it mrs garrett was drunk and cindy and sue ann are like and she says don't tell anybody and cindy and sue ann say oh no who would we who would we tell and they look at each other yeah dissolve to mr harris the headmaster now He's the one we were talking about earlier with the toupee. And he is sitting at his desk and he is adjusting his hair. Yes. And he says, what? 
a drinking problem, well, appropriate steps will have to be taken. Dum, dum, dum. Fade to commercial. Dramatic end of the act. Now, I have to say real quick, I've seen worse toupees. That's not a toupee. It's no. his own okay, hair. Okay, so that makes sense. So why would they do that? I, why wouldn't they put a wig on an actor because every, who even has his hair? Everybody said, and we've all known that he wears a toupee. Like, yeah. that's old news. Yeah. Uh, but it looked fine. Actually, his mustache was more ridiculous than his hair. Yeah. And it is, we, we haven't even gotten to this. The actor playing Mr. Harris, who is the new headmaster, I think, since Mr. Bradley disappeared from season one, it is beloved character actor Kenneth Mars. God, I love Kenneth Mars. I was really trying my best to look at his hairline and things. I was like, that that looks really good. I mean, no. as far as the way he's wearing his hair goes. Kenneth Mars, if you know him as an actor, he has a full head of hair. Kenneth Mars is very popular People know him from Mel Brooks movies. He's uh, he's the uh, policeman in Young Frankenstein with all the hand attachments. He plays Franz, the playwright, in the original Producers. He is my favorite comedy of all time, or one of my favorite comedies. What's up, Doc? He's he been plays. in a lot of stuff. He's and and uh, younger people, Disney freaks. He is the voice of Triton in The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Um. According to IMDb, he only is Mr. Harris in this one episode. We've referred to him, I believe, in the pilot. Uh, I keep saying the pilot, the season premiere. That's the new, the second pilot for the show. Um, so he's been referred to, but we've not met him yet. And according to this, we never meet him again. What an odd little, tiny little part for him to play. And, uh, and he's got a ton, a ton of credits. He is so freaking hilarious and fun and funny. Um and it is clearly his own hair. Yeah. And, and he does have a sort of barbershop handlebar, not, not a handlebar mustache, the, one, the, handle, the mustache with the yeah, curlies. Yeah, that you would, you would almost put wax in it to twirl. It's not that long, but it's just it's got that little turn yeah. up on the other side, which you look at first and you don't notice his toupee that he yeah. really doesn't have, but has been known to have throughout the entire school. Yeah, and as the the script calls for, he's fiddling with it to sort of yeah. make it clear that it's something he's self conscious about. So the first, the your very first scene on the facts of life, and you've got a resume already, whatever, super long, and the first thing the director tells you is, "You have a toupee. We're gonna bring in the camera. We're gonna pan it over, and you're adjusting it." And he's gonna say, "Okay, well, am I bringing? Am I wearing a wig? No, just adjust your real hair. Adjust your yeah. Yeah, adjust. just make it, make it look like it's moving. Yeah, it's like what." So it wasn't even funny because it wasn't moving. He was yeah. pretending to move it. Yeah. Now, if they had put a bad toupee on him and he was fussing with it like he's self-conscious about it, that's funny because it's one of those like, dude, who do you think you're fooling? We've all seen wigs like that. Yes. But yeah, what an odd choice. And uh, I mean, all the better that he's not back. But Kenneth Mars had bigger and better things to do and uh, move on to. Anyhow, I was... I had forgotten it was him when we watched this. I, you heard me cry. I was like, ah, yeah. I love him. And he has, he also has in this opening scene of, of him speaking on the phone to mm -hmm. whoever he's speaking to. Um, he has like the prehistoric handheld phone device. Oh, does he? Yes. Yeah, so he's, he's talking hands-free. And when I mean hands-free, he has this gigantic harness on his left shoulder with a real phone attached to oh, it, so he doesn't right. have to speak. And I'm like, "What is that? Yes, and is that just so he can adjust his real hair? 
That is like why not hold the phone? Yeah. No, I I uh, forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just pulled it up. I'm he spends at it here. so much time in his office making sure his fake toupee looks real <laughs> that he needs that contraption to hold the. Re- it's a real size phone being yeah. held on by looks like a couple of clothespins on his shoulder. Yeah, no, that's an actual thing that they used to. It's uh, it is an actual. Yeah. It's a telephone shoulder rest. Well, yeah, it, we, it looks painful. We used to sell them back in my my old family's office supply deals, office supply oh. days, and uh, yeah, it is literally a, a metal thing that clips to the middle. I'm sorry, it is a plastic thing that clips to the middle of the telephone receiver, and it is shaped so that you can rest it on your shoulder. It doesn't free float. You kind of need to lean your ear on it to kind of yeah. balance it. But as opposed to the, the alternative of lifting up your shoulder and collapsing your trap and your, your neck muscles. Um, yeah, it was an alternative to that. We used to sell them. And they come in different colors to match the different color oh, phones. that's good. Because his does match. It's a ugly cream on cream. Yeah, that's the thing. But yeah, that is a clear old style. That's a 1981 desktop phone. Yeah, and it's, it's very weird. I'll, I'll post a picture of, of it on the, on the website. But we are here at the commercial break, and this is the time when I like to do a little quickie interview with my guest and uh, talk about you and your your career and your life. We have already touched upon that you are a uh, married gentleman with a child. We work together at Disney, and you have been with Disney for a long time. Well, yes and no. You you started at Disney I a long time ago. I started 20-plus years ago, yeah. yes. Uh, and actually, I was, uh, I'm was i Canadian, and mm-hmm. I was living in Canada, yeah. uh, and I had just started working professionally in the business, living in Toronto, mm-hmm. as all Canadian actors go. That's the New York of Canada. Absolutely. And I was doing... Um, a lot of extra work, see on camera, stuff like that, just paying the bills, trying to get my, you know, my face under the television side and things like that. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd already, I'd already been a singer for a while doing um, review shows and things like that and summer stock and things. And, uh, and I went to this Disney open call that was actually back then they, uh, they actually did their audition calls on the back of the newspapers, like the Toronto star. Oh, wow. like there was like a full page act. Ad, wow. looking for actors for this, for that. And for and those people who don't know what a newspaper is, <laughs> yes. uh, that was the internet in print it that was. was delivered to your doorstep yes. every morning. And this was uh, this was actually one of those ones where you could open up for free the, oh, okay. the, the can and take it. It was like the neighborhood yeah. magazine, you know, that where you just take one. Not, you, you didn't know. have to put a coin no, in the No, you just in opened it up and, 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 and we're in Canada, so no one was only going to take more than one. You're so polite. Yeah. So well, you, we are. I'm, yeah. I'm half Canadian. So And, yeah. it, and it, was, uh, it was the opening of the Animal Kingdom, getting ready to open in, in 1998. This was 1997 in the yeah. fall. And they were looking for brand new actors and they were scanning the globe, or at least yeah. scanning going across the border to Canada. Yeah. And, the continent, yeah. And it just basically said, there was an actual character breakdown in the newspaper, and it's oh my god, and it's amazing. Yes, and it said, uh, literally said five foot four. Uh huh. Um, athletic build, mm-hmm. ethnic looking, mm-hmm. uh, to play in the Jungle Book for so, Mowgli. Yeah, for Mowgli. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I was like, hmm, must yeah. be willing to perform in a diaper. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> 
Uh, I do that now, but that's something for completely that's, different. Yeah, that's and, your and so I went. I went to the audition, and uh, it was my second audition ever in Toronto. The first one was for a cruise ship as a singer. I got the gig. I got offered the gig, which gave me my American equity card, and mm-hmm. I uh, hadn't even had my Canadian equity card yet. So it got me both at the same time because nice. that's the way the reciprocals went. And I was twenty-one years old, and they were like, "We're gonna relocate you." give you a credit card with your name on it, get your way here, give you a driver for a month. Yeah. Like, you know, they'd had to, we were opening a, a park. We were a new brand new show. Yeah. New and, show. And new they park. had to take care this of is, some of their principles. The Jungle Book Live. Yeah. Yes. And so I did it and I, I opened and closed. I was the only actor there to open and close as Mog- as a Mowgli. And how long did the show run? It, um, like a month. <laughs> no, no, it ran about, it ran just less than a year. Okay. The experience was about 15 months. We, we were renewed out into a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we were closed quite quickly when uh, a man by the name of Phil Collins wrote a musical called Tarzan. And they were looking desperately for a stage uh. to put in his musical Tarzan Rocks. So at that point, I thought, well, am I going to stick around here? I, I was, uh, there's nothing tying me there. And mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s. And I was, you know, I've got Broadway. I've got other things to do. There's bigger and better things for me. So I left quite quickly after that was done. Uh-huh. And then sure enough, 15, 16 years ago and a lot of stuff in between, uh, I, I'm back. And, yeah. uh, and it, it's been great. And I'm settled here, uh, you know, a house and the whole thing and cars. And I was in New York City for almost a decade, traveled half the globe, singing on cruise ships, did some TV. Yeah, and a little the, bit of the TV that you did was uh, PBS. It was Rob, Robert and Ribbert? Almost. Ribbert and Robert's Wonderworld. Ribbert and Robert's Wonderworld. Yeah, World. and actually you can see it still on one of our PBS channels here in the Orlando area. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I filmed 78 half-hour episodes over the span of about seven years. And you did that out of Boston? Out of Boston, outside Boston. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it's a national show and actually was also filmed in... Uh, not filmed, shown in Singapore, the Armed Forces Network. I'm actually quite big in Singapore. I used to Are get, you? I used to get fan mail in Singapore. Shut up. From Singapore. And uh, a lot of people were really big on it. Wow. I, I used to say I'm the, I'm the Hasselhoff of Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> As to Germans were to him. Oh, but no, yes. it, it ran and, you know, it never got the, um, it never got as big as I'd hoped to it because, <clears throat> excuse me, at the time, I, I thought I was going to retire rich from it, as oh. a lot of people do from these shows that go yeah. you know, on forever. Like, I, I get yeah. blues clues. Could, could have been like a wiggle, that. the wiggles. Yeah, and, and this like was that. going down that path. It really was. Uh, we won several awards, and uh, it, just, uh, it just wasn't handled properly mm-hmm. uh, on the business end. And mm-hmm. it could have very well uh, have gotten a lot bigger than it is. So needless to say, it still airs to this day on several networks around the United States, including New York City every day. I still get texts from people and emails saying, I saw you, blah, blah, blah. Usually it's when people are snowed in or or <laughs> there's like a hurricane and they're forced to stay at home at 10 o'clock in the morning and put on PBS. Wow. But needless to say, I, 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 I'm not getting rich off of it. But no. it was a great experience and it was all green screen. And it was, that was my first experience of that. Because I had been a stage actor and a trained sure. trained musical theater student, and to be able to do something like that for several years, and I end up going on to uh, directing half the episodes, which was a great experience for me. So, oh, cool. so I got that on on you know on the resume. So and I got to not only star in some television, but also direct and got direct. You know, it was it was it was wor- well worth it. And I oh, sure. and I traveled on someone else's dime for a long time and had a lot of fun. So yeah. it was great. And those are, there, there are videos on YouTube also. I'll post them on the website. Yeah. There's a lot of different 
ways to see it, I guess, still. Yeah. But yeah, YouTube, but I, I think there's like the first it, season is out there. It's really cool. And it's it's fascinating that, you know, we work with people who have little kids like you do who watch you yes. on TV every I've, day. I, I just gave I just gave an, an 8 by 10 not long ago sign to one of my colleagues to give to wow. his daughter. But I, I find that if you're an adult and you want to watch it, you might want some help. <laughs> so, you know, do what you want to it's do. It's like it's like Teletubbies. If you're a grown-up and you're watching it, there's something something ain't right. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> and if you help yourself out with something, it, it, some of it might make more sense. Wow. <laughs> and we'll we'll leave it there. Yeah. Um but uh just to quickly backtrack for uh you said you're Canadian. I typically do like a little James Lipton a where were you born? Yes, Windsor, Ontario, Canada. That's Windsor. across from Detroit, which is actually the southernmost city in Canada, and it's yeah. actually north. At, Detroit is actually north of 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 Windsor. So, oh. so you know the song "Born in South Detroit." Yeah, that's probably Windsor. Windsor. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, because south. It's, it's south of of Detroit. And uh, where did you go to school? Where did you learn and all that stuff? Uh, I went to the University of Windsor, which is uh, was only the one of the few. Uh, Bachelor of Fine Art Musical Theater programs on on the Eastern Hemisphere of Canada. Wow! Uh, it was either there or Toronto, but Toronto didn't. Toronto had great training, but it didn't offer the the BFA. The BFA, huh? And so, and you still, as far as musical theater, we talk about musical theater and stuff like that. You are also a music musician. You are also a musician, and you play guitar. You are seen regularly. You play in downtown Winter Garden. Yeah, you... amongst a few other places. I've been able to uh, establish myself a little bit as a musician here in the f- central Florida region. And uh, when I was going to school for musical theater, I was not a musician. Uh, I, I didn't pick up the guitar until I was almost 30 years old. Really? Yeah. Uh, wow. It was based on a breakup and just, Oh wow. I'll never be attractive again no <laughs> no one will ever love this, me yeah, and, yeah. yeah so i'll pick up this guitar to try to get women wow and uh and i just i'm just self-taught but you know because i was a singer for so long uh, I, I, that's what my strong point is i company myself and i mm-hmm. can i can fool people enough to think that i'm a, a good guitarist but wow i don't know I, I just i didn't realize that i mean to me you were like uh, I, if you had said you've been playing since you were a child i would have been like well of course oh here, thank you i i perceive you as being extremely skilled guitarist and that's coming from me where i am an extreme extremely unskilled non-guitarist well i've i've been lucky enough to kind of been able to pick up things mm-hmm. quickly yeah on a lot of the different things yeah, i was i wasn't even an actor until high school i'd never been on the stage or sang a lick until high school i was a hockey player and an athlete growing up in, in canada yeah a hockey go player figure, go figure wow it was that it was must... tough to find an ice rink but Phew. when i did yeah. Oh, my backyard had one, but hard to find your tribe when you're doing that. <laughs> yes, wow. it is. Amazing. But, uh, but yeah, I just taught myself to play guitar, and like I said, I love it. And uh, you should come on out and see me if you're in the Orlando area because I'm, I'm playing quite a bit. Absolutely, and enjoyed hearing you perform. I work with somebody who's kind of famous a little bit. That's yeah. pretty cool. Somebody made a Wikipedia page of me, and I don't know who it did. So that's oh. so I must be famous enough. Oh, okay. So. I will. I will post a link. Yeah, and I totally won't and, go and, in. And, and the scary thing is, is that it's it's it was one hundred percent accurate. 
uh, about my whole life. So oh, wow. I don't know who, and, and there's tons of, because there was a lot of articles about my yeah. show. And I don't know the references and things like that where it was like must have been about combinations of a million interviews I did. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it should be cited. I mean, the, you should have links. They and... seemed to know, uh, they knew every personal thing about me. Wow. Including who my wife was and name and things <gasps> like that. And it's 100% accurate, so I can't argue with it, but somebody, I don't know who's got the time to do that. Yeah. I'll go in and edit. I'll put your home address there and be like. Please. <laughs> Uh wow, so it's um it's it's pretty neat to to get to work with you with all of the um with all of the the history and experience you bring in your whole career, not just your your Disney career. It's always been I've always enjoyed working with you. I always well, likewise. Like, it's pretty cool. We, we haven't to... worked enough together. That's a problem. <sighs> uh, trying to. Try but we to... did spend a half an hour handcuffed to each other one time. We we did yeah. And and then we w- went out on stage and performed. <laughs> so we come back from commercial, and Mrs. Garrett is in her room watering her plants. And, oh, one thing we didn't say earlier about the whole thing of Mrs. Garrett acting so weird with her eyes dilated. She even says, I'm going to go upstairs and sleep it off. It's like, <laughs> there's no sleep. Like they I said, had to get her out of the room somehow. Like I said, it's the equivalent of waiting for Novocaine. Yeah. She was going to take a nap anyways, let's face it. Yeah. she's Because so. she's old. She's 54. <laughs> was she really 54? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, so she's up in her room watering her plants. And uh, we have a very fairly quick scene here where Mr. Harris comes in. And he immediately confronts the issue. And... Uh, She's watering her plants with a, she's got a little mister and it's made out of a wine bottle. Yeah. And he makes comment to it and she says, oh, it was more fun emptying it out the, the first, first time. time. And she gives even, one of those looks like, hmm. Uh-huh. And while she's watering, she's going, how dry I am. How dry I am. And this is where the middle-aged, I always talk about the middle-aged vaudevillian writers come in. It's like, really? In the in 1981, are we still, the, the drunk song is, how dry I am, how dry I am, nobody knows. I wonder where that came from. How and why did How Dry I Am become the drunk song? That is a quest. I'll post it on the website. Um, Mr. Harris adjusting his hair kenneth mars beautifully makes it a little character tick so the fact that the first time we saw him is futzing with his hair he does it and he says mrs garrett there is an uh there are rumors going around that are very disturbing or something like that and because he's futzing with his hair she looks up and she says oh you you know about it you heard so we have this little scene where he's talking about the drinking and she's talking about the two. And it's funny because we just finished a scene like this with between Mrs. Garrett and Tootie where they were talking about something that really didn't really mean what it meant. Yeah. And now they're going right back to the watering hole again. Yeah. For this one. Back to it. And uh, thankfully it doesn't last very long. It comes out fairly quickly um, where in spite of her saying, oh, well, you know, you just have to ignore it. Maybe you're overreacting. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? I can't send you to New York. Yeah. And she's like, whoa, wait, blah, blah. And finally he says, I'm talking about your drinking and problem. And I'm like, thank you for actually mentioning it. Then we don't have to go through four more of these jokes. Yeah. Because it, okay. it was funny for um, a couple minutes, but then it's like, all right, let's get to the point. Yeah. Tell her you have a drinking problem. This isn't Three's Company, where an entire episode is them not saying the most obvious thing that needs to be said and everything going crazy as a result. So we've got... Um, 
we, we get to the heart of the matter, and he says, word of your drunken spree is spreading all over campus. It, you know, you stumbled into the kitchen, you knocked things over, and she's like, what? No. And so finally, she says, I was at the eye doctor, and I just had my eyes dilated. And she says, I shouldn't have to defend myself like this, but here, here's the prescription. And Kenneth Mars comedy perfect timing he says oh mrs garrett i mean i don't need to actually see that and he rips it away to look at it exactly on the, on the side, yeah and uh sure enough he is convinced he has proof it was a misunderstanding and she says i don't know how you would have heard of this the only people who saw me come in the kitchen were howard and duty <laughs> so then it's very, very, very clear. Oh, and then Mrs. Garrett. Someone's in trouble. <laughs> is that your Mrs. Garrett impression? I know. I never thought of it. Everybody on the show is is allowed and or required to do their bad Mrs. Garrett impression. You've been hearing me doing it. Is oh, Tootie, it... someone's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Aaron Neville, but. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And then we move from there down to the cafeteria where... All of the girls now are together. Joe is not there, but we have Blair, Tootie, and Natalie sitting around with Sue Ann, Cindy, and Nancy. Okay, so this is the first thing I thought of right away. Orgy. Second thing I thought of right away. Okay, yeah. Nancy found out earlier that Blair Blair was going to take her man, Mm -hmm. and I mean, that's a pretty big deal, especially at that age. Yeah. Now they're sitting two feet from each other, giggling and laughing. Now, mind you, they're not paying attention to each other, but it's not like I don't want to be around her. They were all partaking in the same thing, which was nonsensical whispering and things like that. But it was also praising Tootie for, it was your best blab ever or something like that. Like they, it partially was centered around Tootie being this information hub that they're all enjoying collectively now. Yeah. And uh, no, I thought of that too. But what's fascinating is, just this cluster of six girls. There were seven last season. It was this. It was this group of girls plus Molly, Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald, and it's just a reminder of how more deftly they're handling these numbers than they did last season. So, um, Mrs. Garrett comes down and says, "Tootie, I'd like to have a word with you in the kitchen, please." And Tootie is like, "Uh oh." So, and can I point out something too, please? Because it drives me crazy. This drives me absolutely up the wall when shows do what they just did at this part. She gets up and she walks away, and the girls are forced to make dialogue oh, busy. that's not part of the script. Oh. And they're not silent, but they're not loud. They're whispering stuff. Yeah, it's and it's right in front of the camera. Like, it's not in the background. It's yeah. like It's like, I hate when they do that. Please direct them out of the scene. And it happened earlier in the in the episode two where there was they were entering someone was entering and so they were mock talking like yeah and we this person next to you we can hear clearly so why are you not yeah. like that that have they do this on the show a lot and they did it last season even worse but yeah that does happen. like it's like they're on stage or something it's, yeah it's like it's it was just it drove me nuts I had to write it down because yeah, nope I'm, because she got up to walk away and it's like this scene needs to be I thought yeah. we're just we're just blah, blah, peas and carrots. Yes, yeah, and, and said and someone did say one word that like made sense, and the other one was like, Rah. I was like gossip and tootie. But anyway, that drives me. It drives me. Watermelon, nuts. watermelon. But I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's uh, we we see that in the show fairly regularly. Sadly, so we go into the kitchen, 
And we're really, I mean, we're just now in the home stretch of this episode where Mrs. Garrett is going to be, girl, this what is, the fuck? Yeah, this is the big moment that she, the big learning moment. So in the kitchen, the conversation between Mrs. Garrett and Tootie is just simply, why are you saying things like that? Mrs. Garrett's like, my eyes were dilated. I wasn't drunk. And Tootie's response is, well, it's, it got out of hand. It's not my fault. And Mrs. Garrett is like, well, it is your it fault. It is your fault. <laughs> That is so much better than it was five minutes ago. <laughs> and so she's like, I think Tootie says something like, are you still, still mad? mad at me? And she's like, very much. <laughs> Don't quit your day job. Um, <laughs> no, never stop. Do not ever let me discourage you from uh, growing that. But she says, uh, I'm, uh, I'm still mad. A lot of people are I'm mad. mad. Nancy's mad at Blair, and Blair's not talking to Joe. And Tootie's like, but all the older girls are finally paying attention to me. And the line that sums it all up, Mrs. Garrett in nurturing mother mode says, um, that's fine and dandy, but do you think, based upon what you've been doing, would any of them confide or trust in you? like a real friend and it's like ding there's the heart of the matter beautifully put beautifully written hallelujah and that gets through to tootie so she's like okay good i'm glad everything is settled bye and mrs garrett's like oh no she says you have to tell the girls the truth you have to tell the girls what you've done yeah so she goes out into the cafeteria and they're all there well-timed comically where she's like hey everybody and they're all like Hey, what was Mrs. Garrett bringing you in there to talk about? And she says, you know what? If anybody wants to leave, that's cool. You're all really busy. And there's this point they look at each other and they're all like, nah, we're settling in. We want to see. We will bring, bring, bring me a, some popcorn and a Diet Coke, girl. Yeah. We want to see what shit's going on. What's the tea? Uh, so very well timed. And then Tootie has to come clean and says, no, it's not true. And she does have the funny joke. Mrs. Garrett wasn't drunk. She had her eyeballs diluted. Diluted, yeah. It gets a mild laugh. Yes, that's pretty good. And um, so with everything being all settled, Mrs. Garrett says to Tootie, well, um, you still have to, there are still reparations to be made. And she says, you have to, Lick all these envelopes to the invitations to the alumni dance. All 1,000 of them. And do you remember what Tootie said, what her response was about licking the envelopes? Just call me Tootie Chapstick. Do you get that? Do you remember that? Well, the Chapstick commercial? It was Susie a, Chapstick. Susie Chapstick. Okay, you yeah, do know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. For, for those who don't know, there was a, a well-known professional skier named yes. Susie Chaffee. Yes. And she of, did Chapstick commercials. And of one of her many endorsement deals, one of them was that. And it was like, you'd see her skiing, and I'll, I'll post this commercial uh, on the website, but it's like, hey, it's Susie Chaffee. And she says, just call me Susie Chapstick. Like, I'm did changing she long, my... blonde, flowing hair? Yeah, she was, yeah, 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 she she was, was you know, yeah. athletic, like a yeah. Chris, Chris Everett Lloyd, fav, you know, famous type of an athlete in the late 70s, early 80s. So, yeah, that's a reference to um, Susie Chaffee, chapstick commercials. Um, and a lovely parting line on the part of Mrs. Garrett. Do you remember? No, what it, I don't remember that. Before she leaves the room, she just says, oh, and Tootie, we are still friends. Oh, that's, that's right. That's right. Isn't that lovely? We're still friends. <laughs> 
So Vincent Price walked yeah. in and it's, said the line after. Yes, he did. Is that yeah. what happened? Okay, so. just making sure. Um, and then in a lovely ending, like they could have just ended it there. No, it had to go a step further and there was no reason for it. You didn't like the ending? No, I didn't. You didn't? Well, the, the licking of the envelopes yeah. was very, um, I got a little turned on. Because they were all like looking at each other as they licked. And they're like, they weren't just regularly licking. They were like playing with it. They're like oh. turning their heads sideways and making eye contact with it. Did you notice it was really weird? I, I didn't. But then again, I look at it with very different eyes. But what we're talking about is the way it ends is Tootie takes, Tootie takes the big box of a thousand envelopes. And she says, well, I guess I know what I'm going to be doing while yeah. all you guys are off in New York. And as she goes to do it... Um, Natalie is the first one to yeah, get up and course. say, here, let me help you. And Natalie would do that. And totally would. Natalie and Tootie are besties. Yes. And then the other girls, and even and Joe is the next one that says, yeah, if we all chip in, it won't take that long. So this is a nice way to show that they forgive her. Yeah. And they uh, get up. And so they all move over to the other table in the back and at, and at this point, and Blair it looks is like the, Blair's not going to help. Blair's the only holdout. She's you yes. can tell she's the one kind of like, do I have to? So she goes with the flow, and um, but she says this ridiculous and, line. Uh, yeah. The, oh, the final line. Yeah, terrible. Well, the thing is, is that 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 bothered me that she got the final line in the show because it wasn't about her. You. Yeah, you're right. So why did the end? Like, why did she put the button on it? Because like she could have done that. Or maybe not done that, or they could have rearranged the order, or just all got up together, because the episode's over already. So it just bothered me that she got like the one last shining moment that went that had nothing to do with the storyline, and it didn't really land that hard either. It's Blair is the holdout; they're all moving on. It's kind of one of those, okay, is she or isn't she? And so she finally, with her with her resolve, she says, "As they say at the Oscars, the envelope, please." And first of all. Why wouldn't they say as they say at the Tonys? They're going to New York. Like, why did they even say that? Oh, like, if they had talked about going to see a play and it won a Tony Award. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Like, but, what's, what does that have to do with the Oscars? They're, they're, not, they're going to New York? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I mean, the Tonys are not as popular and widespread as the Oscars, yeah, not as widely watched. But you're right. They could have all just gone over, started licking the envelopes, but I'm pulling it up right now, and we're going to watch it's them. It's just this like shining last moment all by herself, like an inner monologue. Yeah. Now look at, yeah, they're all, uh, they're, they're all goofing around and making busy work of the envelopes and, <laughs> and laughing. Like, see how close they got to each other? Yeah. And, like, and Nancy like leans in. It's over. like, she's going to smooch somebody. Yeah. I mean, that's where I was going with that. Wow. Dang. And I don't want to ruin what's coming up in your next episode, Uh oh. but to go kind of in that direction, they could have went, a two-parter with this and had a couple of the girls get really, really sick and pass away from, oh. from the, and then there would never been that Seinfeld episode. Because wow. I had to think of something else. The, the glue. Yeah. That is so, people lost their minds over that, didn't they? Yes. They and did. I didn't, but that's what I thought of when I watched them all looking those. You, you watch it and you're like, someone's going to die. Yeah, someone's going um, down here. So there we are careening very quickly here through season two. It's going to be gone before I know it, but you and I have worked quite a bit to try and coordinate this yes. and get this to work. I'm glad we finally did. Me too. And uh, since we also share a, a dressing room at Disney, you've 
been fortunate and unfortunate enough to overhear the editing process and listen to some of the same music clips over and over and be forced to listen to some of the ridiculousness on this show. No, it's been great. And I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you are doing this and I've been continuing and I've been getting great guests. And you, you actually kind of turned me on to the podcast thing. Oh yeah. Especially when you were telling me about the Saved by the Bell one. Yeah. Which is, this is loosely kind of based on yeah. the same, the yeah. same format. Yeah, go, right? go Bayside, the go Bayside. Uh, April Richardson's podcast. Yeah, that's what really made me want to do this. I was like, I, w- I want to do something like that. Yeah. yeah, and and so that helped me because I listened to a handful of those, and that helped me knowing what to expect today Yeah, because it was the, basically the same format. Sure. And, and uh, I had a great time. This was, this was great. Well, thanks. And I hoped, I always say, people, I hope to have you back, and um, it would be very fun. I hope we get to do it again, and... Uh, Thank you. We'll see you. We'll see you out uh, out on the streets at the at the theme parks and soon. I hope. Thank you. And there you have it. That was James Bondy, the self-proclaimed Hasselhoff of Singapore. I hope he puts that below his name on his headshots. I really think he should. Um, one correction: We're talking about when Mrs. Garrett comes in after her eye exam, she is wearing sunglasses. That is not completely off base as we thought. You do need to definitely wear sunglasses, but like I said, there's this sort of rolled up piece of super almost opaque shading material that they sometimes give you that you can kind of insert between your face and the glasses to give it some extra dimming possibilities so that you don't blind yourself when you try to drive yourself home. So that's not completely the question. Another thing I meant to mention and I completely forgot, once again, we have official business being conducted in a bedroom. Mr. Harris goes to Mrs. Garrett's bedroom to confront her about her drinking problem. It's like, why wouldn't you have called her into your office or called a meeting or something? I... (laughs) It's just, oh, sitcoms, oh, sitcoms. And uh, the other thing on this episode that struck me as I was editing it is, do you like how every week I encourage my guests to do their Charlotte Ray impression, and then I turn around and insult them and and give them shit for it because none of them are good, including mine. And (laughs) it's like, um, yeah, maybe I need to work on being a more gracious host here. (laughs) Um, So, James, I apologize for being kind of shady to you but it was god that was so funny uh anyhow um we're we're done this is it so uh next week i'm going to be watching season two episode 10 it's called breaking point it is another very special episode it is (sighs) deep breath the suicide episode so that is one that uh will be contended with and is going to be a little bit hard because it is unfortunately something that has touched my life in the recent past. And uh, the good news is I'm not going to be alone. I'm going to have Matthew Arder back and take this little journey with me. I, I don't really know quite what to expect. I'm hoping for the best and praying it doesn't turn too depressing and maudlin and just... Whew. Anyhow, 
Check out our website, facethefactspod.com. That's where I've posted a lot of extra stuff, including videos of James's work and other audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. You know that's where you can find links to our social media. That's how you subscribe to your favorite podcatchers. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And that is it for this week's show. I'm so honored you've taken the time to listen. Thank you for sharing this weird obsession with me and my crazy friends. So remember, the facts of life are all about you.